All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another Boca podcast episode, another brand new guest, Katie Wiseau. Thank you, Katie, for hanging out with me today. Kind of last minute too. You just jumped right in. I did. You know, I appreciate you responding to me jumping right in. Yeah. I mean, and, and you just kind of reached out and you're like, Hey, I, I could, I could offer some value in this way. And, and so we made it happen very quickly. And we'll probably push this episode out a little more quickly than we normally do. Because of course, right now for anybody listening two, three, four months, a year from now, whatever it might be right now as, as a country, really as kind of a, as the world at large, we're going through this coronavirus epidemic and m- many of us, most of us are kind of stuck at home And one of the things that I want to make sure that we're doing is providing content that enables the photography industry at large to be as proactive as possible with their time. And one of the points of conversation as it relates to our businesses right now is pricing. And we're going to talk about that today. More specifically, should we adjust pricing? Should we discount pricing? How can we potentially generate a bit of extra revenue while we're not able to shoot? So we'll, we'll talk about that in more detail in just a bit. I appreciate you coming on. Maybe you can just give a little bit of context to our listeners too, because you're not an active photographer like many of our guests. What is your your profession, if you will? Yeah. So I'm a business coach and I specifically work with service-based creative entrepreneurs like photographers, but I help them build profitable businesses so they can make a full-time income doing what they love to do. As, as you know, and as many of your listeners know, it's not necessarily enough to just have the talent. You have to have the business fundamentals and the foundation in place in your business so that you can generate income and you know turn your talent into a business. And so that's really what I focus on. I'm, I'm not a creative. I, I have a creative streak, but I'm not a creative <laughs> per se. Um, but but I just bring kind of the business acumen and expertise to the table to support my clients who do have the creative talent. Well, and I mean, to your point, which is such an important one for all of us to remember, talent isn't necessarily going to get us by right anymore. I mean, I can, I'm holding this phone for anybody that's not watching the video. I'm holding this, this iPhone 11 pro, which can take stunning, stunning pictures and really without a whole lot of effort. So that's the reality that we're living in as photographers. Now it is very true. Talent's not going to cut it. A pretty picture isn't going to do the job anymore. Um, at least it won't take us for the long haul, right? It's not going to enable us to create a scalable business. We do have to understand business. That's where you come in. And I'm going to go ahead and give your your website and Instagram a shout out too for anybody listening in. And we'll put this in the show notes. But if you go to Katie, K-A-T-I-E, W-U-S-S-O-W.com, uh, and then on Instagram, it is the same thing, Katie Wusso. We'll put both of these in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. By the way, for anybody listening, and if you notice that Katie's got really great audio, she also happens to be a <laughs> podcaster uh, with a halfway decent mic today, which is always encouraging. Are you using, is that an Audio Technica mic? It is. It's the ATR 2100. 2100, which is, I think, one of the more popular ones out there for podcasters or people getting into podcasting. It's got great audio for very minimal cost. And anybody listening in is curious. Um, How long have you been podcasting now? I launched my podcast, I believe, January 9th. Uh, I really, really should have launched it much, much earlier. Mm. It was something I resisted for a long time, even though people suggested like, hey, have you thought about this? And I'd be like, no, I don't want to do that because I have this limiting belief around technology. Okay. Um, and I felt like it was too technical for me and I just wouldn't be able to hack it. But I launched it in January and I love podcasting. It's so much fun. What do you love about it? I really love the opportunity to collaborate with other people. Mm. Um, you know, my, my long form content platform prior to that was a blog and the blog was fine, but it didn't offer as much opportunity to collaborate with other people and have people on my show and interview them and have a conversation. And so I like the, the human, human 
aspect and the collaboration aspect of podcasting a lot. Yeah, that conversation on the back and forth, we can have this free form. Um, for, for the longest time, I actually didn't do video for the majority of the podcast episodes that we've put out. I've started incorporating that now, and it's nice to actually be able to see somebody's face, uh, their expression, and make some type of connection, even if it is virtual in this way, um, we're using Zoom. But nonetheless, shout out to your podcast called The Game Changer Podcast with Katie Wusso. We'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. You can find it on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you're curious, the, the subtext or subtitles of business podcast for creative entrepreneurs, combining smart strategy with face-centered personal development. And um, yeah, we'll link to that in the show notes, Katie. But thanks for the the brief intro. And I, of course, wanted to give our listeners context to the conversation today, why they should be paying attention. And actually, to that point, just very briefly, sum up what you were doing before you got into this consulting work for creatives too, just so that they understand your experience. Yeah, absolutely. So I was a corporate consultant. Um, I got a degree. For, I, w- I went to the University of Texas and my degrees in finance and business. And, you know, I did... I interviewed with banks and I interviewed with all of these like kind of corporate jobs. And I ended up, I was always intrigued by the idea of being a consultant because I really like solving problems. And Mm. I really liked the idea of the churn of like, you know, working on something new all the time. And so I, I ended up getting a job as a corporate consultant and I was in that job for five years as a, as a W2 full-time employee. And then I went part-time as a contractor for another five years when my, my kids were born and I loved what I was doing. I loved who I worked with. I was not the like corporate burnout person. So I'm just using all of the same, you know, financial and strategic skills that I used in my corporate job, but just with a different type of clientele. Well, and that's a great kind of segue to my first question today, which actually has to do with customer experience. As a business owner and as a consultant, you're working with small businesses. What has been one of the most important principles that you've found has been most successful in providing a really great customer experience to those small business owners that you're working with? Yeah, for my work specifically is good communication. Mm. So you know, I kind of learned early on the hard way that it was not necessarily enough to just do good work and to do the work that I said I was going to do, but I needed to be proactive about communicating and answer people's questions before they had the questions and making sure they knew where we stood in terms of the process, making sure that I wouldn't just, you know, somebody would hire me and I would go into my, you know, little cave and do my work and not communicate with them and tell them where things stood. So for my business specifically, and I think for other types of businesses too, good communication and proactive communication and communication before the client communicates with you has been really key. Exactly. I mean, and it's, I guess it's that notion too, largely managing expectations. You mentioned the word proactively, and that's such a key word here. You're managing expectations. Part of that management of expectations is consistently, proactively communicating, making sure they understand the process, that they know where they're at in the project or in the interaction with you, Um, communicating on the delivery date for whatever project you may be working on together, follow up after the fact. Communication is everything. The other thing too that I've been reminded of, and I'd be curious to get your take on this because it's it's such a big component of communication. It's one thing to communicate, right? We know what we mean when we say something. How have you learned to communicate so that the person on the other side of that communication understands or what you're saying actually resonates with them in a way that, that, that they can take and do something with that information. Yeah. I think just modifying my language and the specific words that I use to match the specific words that my client would use Hmm. for that thing has been really 
has been really helpful. And it's been a little bit of an adjustment for me coming from the corporate world, Yes, you know, used to talking to my boss and my corporate colleagues about the work and then coming to, you know, I've, I've realized that, and this may be specific to me and, but probably also photographers too, when you use technical language, with your, with your clients and your customers that they don't understand, they may not always tell you that they don't understand because they're embarrassed. And so to really simplify the way that I talk about things to not only help people understand, but also to be less intimidating has been something I've had to learn how to do. Uh, and that's huge. Uh, speaking your client's language or whoever it is that's in the other, other side of you, speaking their language is so important. We have a funny way of doing this as photographers, using the language that we speak in our industry, uh, especially when it comes to the, the copy that we put on websites. It's, you see a lot of times with photographers, they'll use terms or phrases that are commonplace when you're having a conversation with another photographer. But these terms, phrases, maybe even concepts that the photographer is trying to communicate on the, on the website, which is supposed to be for the client, it's, it's not stuff that they actually would normally understand that would resonate with them, that they even care about at the end of the day. So we have to remember to speak our, our client's language. That's so important. Right. And a, a, one good example where I'm the client, where I don't know what I'm talking about is I'm about to do this rebrand. Um, and you know, if you ask me, what's your design style? I will not be able to tell you because I don't, <laughs> I don't know, like, I don't know the difference between, I don't know the, the lingo. I don't know the terminology. I don't know if the words that I'm choosing for light and airy are what you mean when you say light and airy, like I do not know. And so my designer didn't say, what's your design style? She said, make me a Pinterest board of stuff you like. Mm. And that's something that I can do. I can put my arms around, even though I, I can't, I don't have the technical language to be able to describe what I like about this coffee mug, but I can say I like it. And then we can go from there. Give me the visuals. Yeah. That that's actually a really big part of our process at photographers edit. When we're asking for a photographer's editing style, you know, we could say, Hey, what's your editing style? And they could say to us, uh, I like warm white balance. Well, warm white balance means a hundred different things to a hundred different photographers. Everyone's perspective slightly different. And so we get visual points of reference from them. And that really can, can be helpful for our team and putting together their editing style, understanding what they mean by certain word, they have the visual to go along with it and they can put those things together and better deliver on a really great finished product. But you're right. Communication at the end of the day is, is everything. Um, and we have to make sure that in our effort to proactively, proactively communicate, we're using words, phrases, concepts that actually resonate with the person on the other side. Can't stress that enough. And uh, this is a great way to start our conversation, but I want to keep going because uh, something that we talk a lot about on the podcast and maybe something that you deal with in your consulting work too is the idea of a brand position, the, the business's position in their marketplace, likely for most photographers in their local marketplace. How is that business recognized? When somebody hears your brand name, what's the idea, the phrase, the concept that comes to mind when they hear Katie Wousseau, for example? So you're offering business consulting. There are a lot of business consultants out there. What is your brand position? How do you create distinction between yourself and other businesses that do the same thing? Yeah, no, that's a great question. And you know, I think some of the things that set me up part is that I'm a business coach, but I do have a background and a lot of expertise with finance. You know, there's a lot of business coaches that talk about branding, that talk about marketing, that talk about launching, that talk about different aspects of, of business, but there aren't as many I've found that can bring sort of that financial expertise to the table. Hmm. I also kind of 
I like to think of myself as a person who focuses on, on the basics um, instead of, you know, there's all kinds of like innovative and fancy and advanced tactics that you can implement in your business. But that's not really what I do. I focus on kind of the basic foundational things that everybody needs to have covered um, before you even maybe go to things that are maybe more advanced. And then the last thing I think that makes me unique is I is just the way that I am able to communicate and teach and break down things that maybe seem complicated and, and intimidating and make them easy to understand, even if you don't necessarily consider yourself to be like business savvy, um, I can help you kind of sink your teeth into that. Well, I mean, to your point, it's it's interesting how just going back to the basics many times can make a big difference, especially in the photography community. We're photographers first, uh, in most cases anyway, and business owners second. And unfortunately, in many cases, our businesses reflect that there's room for improvement. You spoke to the financial piece of it, and that was a massive weakness for me. I just had no perspective, really no idea what it meant to proactively manage my finances, uh, personally for that matter, but certainly as a business owner. And that put me in a pretty tough place for a while. So I'm glad that you're that you're focusing on the basics and especially the financial piece. And by the way, for anybody listening in, if you go to katiewusso.com, um, one of the things Katie does do, there is a position statement of sorts there that says, I'm Katie and I'm a business coach for creative entrepreneurs. Um, if anybody's listened to our brand position episodes, consultation episodes, we talk about one of the benefits of a brand position, or I'm sorry, one of the ways going about communicating a brand position, which is to call out a particular market segment. In this case, you're saying you're a business coach. If you left it there, people will be like, and, uh, but you say yeah. for creative entrepreneurs, you're calling out a particular segment of the market, which automatically narrows the field. And the person that comes to your website knows in that context, whether they're a fit for you or not. So I think that's a really great start for a, for a position statement. Not only that, it is above the fold. Uh, this is something else we talk about. I don't have to scroll to see that position statement. They immediately see a picture of you and then that position statement, which is pretty cool. I appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> shout out to, to having a position statement even, and uh, certainly in a place that's visible. This is not something that's very commonplace in the photography industry. And, and it's something that, that we need to work on for sure. And I'll keep harping on it. People are like, I know our listeners are like, oh, here he goes again, brand position. But it's really, really an important part of the puzzle when it comes to getting our getting our business out there. Talk to me about time, though. I, I know that time management is important for you, not only as a business owner, but you have family as well. How do you create space for yourself, for your family, and also manage to simultaneously run a business? Yeah. Well, everything is sort of, you know, kind of burning to the ground right now because we're homeschooling and we're both working from home. So <laughs> we're still, we're in a period of adjustment, but I have to interject right here really quick too, because we had a really funny experience before we started recording. We're on zoom and you, you said that one of your children was using zoom for school, which is something that's <laughs> happening here um, with my, uh, my son actually was supposed to be on zoom today for school, but I guess she had changed the the background or the, the, the virtual background of the screen. And yes. I was seeing like San Francisco bridge in your face or something like that, the, the golden gate bridge. Yeah, you can, if you would like to look like you are having your Zoom call in front of the Golden Gate Bridge, that's something that's available to, I don't know if you have to have a pro account or not, that might be an upgrade. But uh, okay. so, I mean, how I approach my time is, you know, this may sound simplistic, but I basically just use a basic scheduling, schedule blocking framework for how I'm going to spend my time. And I have blocks of time that are for work, blocks of time that are for myself, for exercise, for, you know whatever I might want to do. And I have blocks of time that are for my family. And 
I kind of decide in advance how much time my business gets mm. and everything I do has to fit in that. And if it doesn't fit, then it doesn't happen. And, you know, I kind of am of the mind that my schedule and like my actual calendar should reflect my priorities. Um, and unless something crazy happens in business, you know, I, I really do stick to very uh, kind of structured office hours. And that's, that's how I approach it. Underlying that, everything that you just said is the notion of being intentional, right? You decide ahead yes. of time versus reacting to whatever's going on in front of you. You decide, this is how I'm spending my time now. This is how I'm spending my time later. One of my guests just recently, Nada Salvatore, brought up a point, though, about the, the idea of time blocking. And I'm curious to get your take on this. Do you find in any way that it is limiting? For example, what Nada said was time blocking you kind of set this the schedule in stone and if something doesn't go as planned at least with some people anyway that can kind of throw them off right they're like oh shoot my schedule like i had this plan and now this thing happened and i can't do that now how am i going to manage my day a uh, bit of a freak out moment how would you respond in that case like where how do you i guess adjust and flow if something does change yeah, I think that's a really common obstacle that keeps people from putting some sort of a time blocking system in place is because they feel like I'm going to put this system in place and it's never going to go the way I want it to go. Mm. So I think you have to have the right mindset about it, which is to know like it's going to be an 80% of the time system. Like 80% of the time, it's going to be fine. 20% of the time, it's not going to go the way you want it to go. And just to know that upfront, like it's not going to be perfect and that's okay. But then the other thing I would say is it's much easier to be flexible and to flex to the needs of what's happening in the moment and to react when you can fall back into a structure after the flexibility is over. Ah, uh, I like that. And, and so, you know, I think a lot of people, you know, I talk to a lot of creative entrepreneurs that are also parents and so they'll, they'll say things like, I was doing so well with my business. I was being so consistent. And then my kid got sick and they were home for two weeks with the flu. And I was off for the rest of the month because like after the period of like chaos, they didn't have anything to fall back into. And so I think structure actually enables you to be more flexible and not, and not less flexible. And I also think that having a, a structure for your schedule, it, it doesn't limit your time it just recognizes that your time is already limited. Ooh, that's really good. I love it. <laughs> We're going to clip that and post that to social media. That's, that is yeah. good, good stuff. Okay. okay. Um, and, and I love how you sum that up and describe that beautifully. Um, we'll leave that where it is and let's keep going. Outsourcing, delegating, running a business. I think if you're going to scale a business requires some form of delegation, right? Whether you're, you're working with a third party company like photographers edit, if you're a photographer, um, or you're just hiring a VA, or you've got somebody in house, or you've got one of your children helping you, whatever the thing is, delegation in some form or fashion can be helpful in scaling a business. What's your experience been with this principle? Yeah, I, you know, I'm not a model example of this. I am recovering, do everything myself. <laughs> you know, I am the, I am the, if you want to do, if you want something done right, you have to do it yourself person. Okay. So this is something I'm really actively trying to grow in. Mm. I hired a VA several months ago. I can't remember exactly when that was. I think it was four to six months ago. And okay. I'm, I'm very like, very slowly, but consistently shifting things to her That's cool. and trying to grow in my ability to like train properly and give proper guidance and then pull back when I need to pull back. And so I think that is a skill that I didn't even realize was a skill hmm. that I had to learn. And so what she's doing right now is she does all of the backend editing, compiling, loading everything for my podcast. 
She loads all of my emails for my email marketing and does, you know, kind of the back end of that. Um, she does all the back end of Instagram and makes the graphics and the loads the posts and captions and hashtags and stuff and Planoly. Wow. And she manages the back end of my online course platform. And that's where she's at right now. And so I'm, I'm now looking for the next thing that I'm like, okay, I'm going to give you this thing. And I think one of the positive things that will come from this current, you know, shutdown situation is that it will challenge me to push more to her because I have less time. And so I'll have to be a little bit more aggressive and like, okay, I'm going to see if you can do this. And now I'm going to see if you can do that. So it's something I'm trying to grow in. What have you found in this process? And I love that you're in the process and you're learning and you're kind of learning to give it, give it up. And it's funny. I, I kind of went to the, the opposite extreme for the longest time. Um, actually not even the opposite extreme, I guess, similar to you in one way, uh, in that I was at the very beginning kind of doing everything myself, um, trying to get everything launched and going. Fortunately, though, I have a really great team on the other side, and they ultimately took things over. And, and my goal was to create a scalable business, one that would generate passive income, if you will. So I got to the point where I was only working like four hours a week. And uh, that was kind of the opposite extreme, right? I, I think right. a certain amount of involvement um, and I certainly find enjoyment in this now uh, in, in proactively connecting with your community at large, uh, in my case, creating a lot of content, having my hand in it, at least, you know, 25, 30 hours a week, it's, it feels really, really great. And one of the things that enables for me is to be, stay in touch with what's going on in the industry and with my business. So I stay relevant. I think it's important, but when it comes to letting go, one of the biggest challenges is communication. Um, so I'd love for you to touch on that. How have you learned to communicate effectively, especially when it comes to editing your baby, your podcast? And what have been the biggest challenges when it comes to letting go? You talk about wanting to, I guess, ultimately what's innate to this conversation is making sure it's done your way. Um, yeah. Where is there, a, where is it okay to make a trade-off in that context? Yeah. Yeah. I think part of, uh, to answer the first part of your question, like communicating well is, I think that when you're trying to work, you think you're organized and then you think you have processes and then you try to delegate and then you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm not as organized as I thought and yeah. maybe my stuff isn't as locked in as mm. I thought it was. So I think part of what has been challenging for me in like communicating with the VA is making sure my processes actually are processes and not just like stuff that I do. Mm. And so that they're documented, you know, I use screen capture software to show the steps so that I can, so that she can see what I'm doing, even if she's watching it later. And so, you know, making sure that you actually know what it is that you're delegating is, is, is definitely the first step. And then having, you know, taking responsibility when something is not done, you know, correctly to give the feedback, which nobody really likes doing. Nobody really likes to say like, Hey, you did this wrong and you have to go redo it. Mm. But that when I started getting serious about telling her like, Hey, this wasn't done well and not just fixing it myself, but saying, will you please go fix this? Hmm. Like things got way better because yeah. she appreciated the feedback instead of just me going behind her and fixing it. And she feels like she's growing and I feel like, you know, she's going to do it correctly the next time. And so that's been really, really helpful. Um, and then I think, yeah, just letting go of things being perfect has been helpful because there are times when she does something, I'm like, oh, I probably would have done that a little differently. You know, I probably would have spaced out the, that Instagram quote differently, or I probably <laughs> would have, you know, yeah. 
you know, I probably would have caught that typo in this email that went out, but none of that stuff is going to, is going to like bring my business crashing to the ground. So just letting go of perfection because, and also realizing like, I don't do things perfectly either. I make mistakes. I screw things up. And so uh, giving people the grace, giving her the grace that she's not going to do things perfectly either has been really important for me to grow in. Well, and the funny thing about perfect is it's subjective in, in many cases, right? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, exactly. it's, it's, I mean, and I, I'm the first to raise my hand here and Haley, who's listening in right now, cause she's editing this podcast episode. She produces the show. We, we have these kinds of conversations where I'm, I'm giving her feedback certainly, but I also admit to, to my faults in the process. And, um, one of the things that, that I have to realize and accept is that my perspective is, well, it's certainly not the only way and that's kind of a given, but it, it may not even be the best way. And, and having her feedback or our listeners feedback or somebody else on my team saying, hey, you might try this thing or that thing, it can actually be really helpful. And I think that's actually one of the fun parts of, of having a team too. So being open to that, setting ego aside and being open to that's really good. But I, I'm so glad that you highlighted the importance of being clear about what it is you want and are trying to accomplish and ultimately of course, that highlights whether or not you have the systems in place necessary to be able to then hand that over to somebody else. It's really good for us to to take a step back at times, especially maybe around a slow season, even right now, and assess where we're at with our business and our systems. Be clear about what we want, number one. Be clear about our processes so that we can ultimately delegate. Yeah. So often we have the, the mindset of like, well, nobody can do this except me. But that's, you know, probably not true for most of the things that you're doing in your business. Right. You know, it, it, when it, even sometimes shooting, you know, I have, I have photographer friends that own photography business, businesses that have been training people to shoot as assistant shooters. Like they, they're learning how to delegate and it is exploding their businesses. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's such a good thing. And if those of you listening in, if you're not in some way delegating something right now, it could be email, album design, accounting, editing, anything, take advantage of the opportunity right now to set up the systems that will enable you to do that because you've got the time at the moment and it's going to really help you. I mean, as Katie was just saying, just explode. On the other side of coronavirus, there is opportunity to, to really step out strong. And one of the ways you can do that is with delegation. But I want to keep moving, Katie. Uh, talk to me about business or self-help book that you found particularly impactful in the last few years. Yeah, I'm a personal development book addict. So, um, <laughs> but this was a still an easy an easy question. Okay. It's the the dip by Seth Godin. Have you read it? You know what? I haven't. And I've read, I don't know how many of his books, but I don't think I've actually read the dip yet. It is really, really short. Okay. And it would definitely be well worth a read for for yourself and your listeners. Um, the the whole book is about the the long slog of time that happens between being a beginner at something and okay. being a master at something. And he talks about when you when you start something new, whether a business or a craft or whatever you know, it, you ha there's a lot of enthusiasm and excitement and right. adrenaline because you're like, this is new. This is exciting. This yeah. is going to be, this is going to be great. And then you go into the dip <laughs> and you, and you realize this is really hard. This sure. is taking longer than I thought. Am I ever going to get to the place where I want to be? And he, the whole book is about basically how to stay in the dip long enough hmm. so that when, so that you can actually come out of it and achieve mastery in something. And so I think anybody that owns a business needs to, I think about the dip more than I think about almost anything else as like a, a helpful construct when I'm experiencing challenges in my business. Interesting. Yeah. Being willing to just kind of sit in it 
and, and continue to push forward. Gary Vaynerchuk talks about this idea, the significance of, of patience, right? Being willing to just stick with it and um, understand that it's a long game. Uh, because, yeah, our culture has gotten used to this idea where we get quick results. We want something, we can get it right away. And that's not necessarily how business works, probably most of the time. Right, right. You know, I, the phrase that, you know, we use in CrossFit is like sit in the suck. Like mm. how long, like the longer you, you do something yeah. that really is not fun, the more physical changes you are experiencing and creating and strengthening in your body. And I think there's, you know, definitely overlap with business there that the longer you stay in it, even when it's not fun and when it's hard, like right now, the more you are actually strengthening yourself for the future. That's really good. And, you know, as you were saying that, it, it reminded me of something that I've been experiencing even recently on a personal level. It's it's a lot harder, and we'll just kind of throw this out there and leave it for another time because it's a loaded topic, but it's a lot harder for us to so, sit in the suck, as you say, stick with it for the long game, whatever it is that we're doing, business or otherwise, if we aren't comfortable with ourselves, if we're not happy with ourselves. Because a lot of times, I think for business owners, um, business in and of itself even, or that next big thing, the next exciting thing. And I speak from personal experience. It can be a distraction from whatever we might be dealing with on a deeper personal level. And so it's really exciting. We go for it and it, and we spend, you know, whatever it is, a day, a week, maybe even a month or two on it. We're really excited about it. And then it falls off. And then we're in, in that dip, as you talked about. And now we're reminded again of what we're unhappy with in our life personally. So uh, again, loaded topic. It's just something that popped to my mind. But if for those of you listening in, if you're not happy with yourself, you're not comfortable with yourself, it's going to make it a lot tougher for you to, to sit in for the long haul. Make sure that you're addressing the personal issues as well, because it will enable you to do much better on the business side. I'll leave that there. I'm not a psychologist. Just want to throw that thought out there, Katie. Um, but I, I do want to jump into something that you're a specialist in, and, and that is running and develop, developing and running a business, a small business. I mean, a, a big component of that, as you alluded to, is the financial piece of it. And right now we're in the middle of this kind of weird place with coronavirus and it's affecting not just the national economy, but the global economy. Most photographers at this point, and we're recording this on March 25th of 2020, aren't able to get out and photograph their clients. And so of course they're not generating revenue actively. That's a tough thing. They're wondering what's next for business. Um, and maybe they're wondering how to generate revenue in the meantime. But of course, something else that comes up too is, okay, what about my existing products or services if I want to try to sell, especially coming out on the other side of the virus? Maybe I need to discount my pricing. Uh, there's just a lot of question marks. And so I'd love for you to maybe kind of lend some perspective uh, on really an overarching perspective in order for our listeners to be able to maintain some type of sanity in all of this uh, and maybe have some perspective before they start making changes when it comes to their pricing? Yeah, I think it's a really good question. And, you know, I think anytime you're talking about pricing structures, discounting, how to drive, how to drive sales when sales are low for any reason, you have to understand what your business model is. Hmm, okay. And I've, I've found that a lot of creative service providers they try to replicate what they see other businesses doing, whether, you know, other, other creative businesses or other like more traditional, larger corporate businesses, they try to replicate what they see other businesses doing that have a different business model. Hmm. So like Everlane right now is putting all of their athleisure on sale, but, and that creates a win-win for them because people are really interested in buying athleisure right now because they want stretchy pants. And it also drives volume. 
for them. Hmm. So even if they are discounting their product and taking a little bit less profit for every pair of stretchy pants they sell, they're driving volume higher so they can still generate the profit that they need to generate as a company. But selling your time, whether you're a photographer or a different type of service provider, cannot work like that because you can't get more stretchy pants. You can't get more time. You have a limited amount of time. And so anytime you use a discount to incentivize people to buy, it's not revenue gained, it's revenue lost because you're charging less than you should charge for a, a, a finite resource that cannot you cannot get back. And so, you know, I see people trying to use discounts as a strategy to cope with this season, but I really encourage people to use a lot of caution with that because in general, it's not a good approach. Discounting in general is not a good approach for a service-based businesses. So if you t- decide, you know, I want to book out my entire fall and I'm, I want to, I want to encourage people to act fast so I can drive revenue and you book out your entire fall at a 20, 25% discount, then you are not only you're dri- you're driving revenue now, but it means your entire fall will be less profitable and you won't be able to shoot at your full rates because you'll be booked up shooting at a discount. So hopefully that is a good overarching principle for people to be thinking about. Yeah. And and I want to get more specifically into discounts, when to discount, when not to. I mean, I know you're suggesting largely photographers should avoid that idea, which is, um, I'm not sure I've heard quite that strong a statement about it before. So we'll get to that here in just a second. I am curious, though, before we talk about discounts, because discounts could apply not just to services, but also to products. Would you, would you, do you have suggestions as to how photographers might be generating revenue right this second while they can't photograph their clients? You know, if they have prints or albums, ideally some other products, maybe you have some ideas, how can they go about generating additional revenue right now while they can't photograph? Yeah, absolutely. And discounting products is is definitely different than discounting a service that's based on spending your time. Because And ultimately, I think... When you're thinking about discounting prints and albums and things like this, there's a lot of different ways you can think about it. And there's not there's not one approach that's going to be right for everyone. So what I would generally suggest is, is, first of all, you need to know your numbers and know what your margins are. So you need okay. to know if I sell this, this album for $20 and I have to pay $15 for it, I'm making $5 now. You need to know those kinds of numbers so that you can be very clear-eyed when you're making those kinds of decisions and know exactly what you're doing. That's good. Um, the other thing that you have to remember and that is really hard to remember, but it's true, is that people in general do not buy things because of the price. Like they don't buy things because of the price. And I think that that's an assumption that people make, and we can get into more of this in a second, but it's an assumption that people make because when people don't buy your thing, they often say it's because of the price. Hmm. And so people don't, uh, they don't buy things because of the price. They buy things because they think that they're valuable. They want them. And so you don't necessarily want to train your audience to just buy your stuff when it's on sale because that's probably not the reason they were or were not buying it anyway. So if you haven't been selling a lot of albums and you want to drive album sales in this season, go back and look, have I even been promoting my albums? Do people know that they're there? Hmm. How, how aggressively have I been, have I been talking about my albums? Have I been consistently communicating about 
the value of having an album of your maternity and your newborn sessions or whatever it is. And it may be the case that you don't need, you don't need a discount to drive sales. You just need to start to start promoting and talking about how valuable it is to have the thing that you're trying to sell. And so again, and I would also suggest to think about things like to more, more creative ideas, think about like bonuses and bundles instead of necessarily raising the price hmm. or I'm just, I'm sorry, instead of reducing the price okay. because it's, it's a little bit more fun and it's a little bit less detrimental to you as a business owner to say like, I'm combining these two things into a bundle that creates more value for you instead of, you know, piecemealing, giving 25% off of everything in the, in the shop. So some ways that you can think about it. But I think for a lot of people, you know, I, I have a lot of photographers in my mind right now that I'm, I'm not sure they even ever talk about their products. Interesting. It's like, it's, it's like it's there, yeah. you know, and it's, it's available for people to buy. But I think if you, if you are honest with yourself and say like, have I actually been actively promoting these things? And what if I just started actively promoting the things that I've already always had, but you know, kind of am more focused in the way that I'm selling and showing up for my, for my customers in this time, you might be able to drive sales even without a discount. Interesting. I, you know, it's funny. We talk, we've talked on the podcast a decent amount about how photographers, myself included, by the way, are apprehensive when it comes to selling. I own an editing company that by the way, sponsors this podcast. And yet I rarely talk about said editing company. And I, and I avoid doing that because of course, the last thing that I want to do is for our listeners to feel like they're being sold something or marketed something constantly. Um, and it's just really not my personality to constantly sell. And yet it is a highly valuable service. They can literally give photographers their lives back. Um, so shout out to photographers edit if you need custom image editing, but in all seriousness, if we just took the time to actually share about the products, I mean, in, in the context of this conversation, would you suggest putting together an email blast that you send out to clients saying, hey, by the way, while you're sitting at home, you know, for example, I, I'd love to put this this design together. I just had Andrew Funderburg on from Fundy, which is a design software, an IPS software that enables photographers to be able to, to create designs, album designs. And one of the things he talked about is the importance of designing ahead of time, actually presenting them with a design. Don't don't get involved in that process with them. That kind of muddles things anyway. Send them a design. So could they send out an email, for example, right now saying, hey, I put this this design together for an album from that last session that we did together. Would you like to take a look? Absolutely. I mean, I think you can get really creative with with how you approach this. And and you know, I think a lot of people feel the same way about selling. Like it's a, an uncomfortable thing to think about, go sell some albums. So if you can instead say like, I want to be able to serve my clients by using this time mm. to make some amazing albums for them and tell them why I'm so passionate about ha them having these albums and why I think it's going to really bless your life. Like I think most people would be really comfortable with that kind of strategy. Well, and the goal there is, you mentioned the word serve, and, and I, that has to be highlighted, right? If, if the goal is service, and that's truly in our heart, I think that's going to come through in the tone. Whether we're emailing or we're talking to somebody, uh, it makes a big difference at, in, in the client's experience in that conversation if our genuine desire is to serve them, to add value to their life versus I'm just trying to make a quick buck. Yeah. And I mean, really... I think the key point here is if you're not doing this stuff, if you're not communicating the value, if you're not showing up to serve instead of sell, it's not going to matter if you give a discount because people, it's not the reason why people are buying or not buying in, in most cases. It's Whoa. because they don't see the value. And so wow. 
you know, I think if you are in a position where you can keep selling at your, at your full rates for all of your products and services, that it would be, you know, the entire industry would be better off than if everyone is just chopping off, you know, chopping off their margins and, and selling things at like fire sale prices. Wow. Okay. So this is, I mean, our listeners could just turn off the podcast right now and go start writing emails to their clients and they would have gained significant value because like you said, a lot of it just comes down to awareness. It's not so much about the specific products as whatever products you might have create an awareness of those products. And I love the thought process that you suggested, which is instead of discounting, and again, we'll talk about discounting in more detail in a second, but instead of discounting bundling saying, Hey, I put together this really cool package during this time. Would love to let you know that, that we offer this. Uh, maybe throw a little bit of humor into the mix too, just make it fun because yeah. like, likely people are getting emails from companies in various uh, fields talking and referencing in some way the coronavirus. So it's almost like, oh, another company again. So make have a little fun with it too, but Absolutely. create awareness about the value of the products that you have to offer. That's a, that's a really great idea. Um, and I encourage everybody listening in to do this very thing. I want to go back though to this conversation about discounting and, and and highlight, first of all, what you said earlier, the overarching principle behind any conversation in pricing uh, and or discounting is understanding your business model first. And and then you also alluded to the significance of knowing your numbers, understanding the margins that are at play. Do you even have room to be discounting and still actually have margin to make a profit on the other side of that sale for the service or more ideally for a product? I guess maybe the big question for me is at what point is it okay, um, do you think, for a photographer to discount their services? Is there is there a different, more specific way that they can go about encouraging business after they come out of Corona instead of just simply, Hey, I'm running a 25% discount sale. Yeah, no, I think that's a really valid question because I think at some point we don't know exactly when there's going to be a rush, uh, a rush on events and a rush on like rescheduled weddings and like, you know, people that needed a branding shoot two months ago and they need it now. So there's going to be a flood. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be crazy. And I'm excited about it too. I, I, I'm sorry to, to jump in, but no, I'm, you're fine. I'm really glad you, you bring this up because I'm really excited about it. I want to encourage our listeners. This episode is going to go out in the next few days. You may be a little down right now, but know that once we're, we're out of the, at least the worst of this in the next couple of months at the most, that we're, we're going to, we are going to have this rush of business. People are like, okay, I want to get that session in. I'm going to schedule, reschedule that wedding. And it's going to be a little bit nuts, but that's actually really exciting to think about and to look forward to. And again, this is a great time to plan for that, but please, please continue. I'm sorry, Katie. Yeah. So the, the question is, you know, how do you drive, you know, business during that time and, and capitalize on whenever this happens? And I, this is my perspective. You know, I think other, there are other perspectives out there. But I really encourage my clients and my podcast listeners and my you know followers to almost never discount their work for any reason. And when you say work, you're talking about the service versus the product. Is the that right? The service, exactly. The service versus the product. And you know, because I think the reason that people discount their work most often is because they're having trouble selling it and they're mm. getting pushback on their pricing. But again, most often pushback on your pricing doesn't have anything to do with your pricing. They might say, oh, I can't, you know, I can't spend the money right now because, you know, just to use my own business as an example, I have sent out $10,000 proposals to clients before and I've offered 
$97 online, you know, workshops. And in both cases, I have heard that's just too expensive. I don't have the money right now. Mm. Like, I don't know if you've ever put something in your cart on Amazon that was $7 and been like, eh, I don't really need that. It's too much. Right. So the, the pushback that you're getting on pricing probably isn't about the price. And then and most often there are three reasons why you're getting that pushback. Okay. One is that your leads aren't qualified. So you're getting, you're getting inquiries into your business that are not the type of client that you want to be working with. And so the, the price point that you are offering is not the appropriate price point for that type of client. So that's the first reason. Which is tied directly really to just awareness of who your target client is, right? Totally. Totally. And then, and then that's when people think like, oh, I've got to have, I've got to have all these different packages for all of these different types of people so that I don't lose business. Right. But it's counterproductive because what you want to do is not have specific packages that you offer to the clients that you don't want to be working with. You just want to get qualified leads coming into your business. So you're, you're getting pushback because your leads aren't qualified. You also can get push pushback if you have not communicated the value. So if you are, if you're on your sales calls with people, or if you're sending out your proposals or whatever sort of sales process you use, and you're talking about, okay, you're going to get this number of images and you're going to get them this fast. And then you're going to have, you're going to get these prints and you're going to get, you know, three hours, four hours of shooting time. Like you're talking about, here's all of the stuff that I'm going to give you for this price that automatically puts you into the, the realm of a commodity. Okay. What you instead need to be doing is communicating the value of what and what kind of impact what you are doing is going to have on your client mm. and how, how what you are giving them is giving them something that they want. So if you are, if you are um, shooting you know, personal brand photography, you need to be talking about how that photography is going to help that personal brand connect with their ideal client and get them business and grow their business. So if you aren't communicating the value, people are going to say that it's too expensive. And then the third reason that you know, people are pushing back on your pricing is that you haven't developed the skill of overcoming objections to your pricing. So like when people say, I don't have the budget right now, are you like, oh, okay, that's fine. Do you have, do you anticipate that you're going to get those objections? And then do you know what you're going to say when, when they do push back? And that's not to say that anybody can ever get to the point where they're closing like hundred percent of their inquiries, because I don't think that's feasible. But what, what you need to understand is that people are always, always going to say they don't have the money always. And so your, your job then is to, if they are the type of person that really, that you really, they really need what you do, like you really need to help them, then you need to help them overcome that, that money objection. And that's, that's a really hard skill to develop, but it is an actual skill that you can develop. So those are some of the reasons why, I mean, that's sort of, you know, a little bit of a deeper dive, but I do, I do think that most people should not be discounting. Hmm. Um, and instead, if you if you want to drive behavior or if you want to drive sales or encourage or incentivize people to work with you, then add bonuses, add extras, add, you know, short, you know, limited time offers for for bundling something else with what you currently do. But if you are selling your time at a discount, 
first of all, most people are already not charging enough. So then if you say, okay, my, my, my rates that are too low, I'm actually going to chop off 20%, then you're <laughs> really in a hole. Right. But at the end of the day, focusing, I mean, you talked about the significance of communicating value. Even even the idea of saying, I'm going to bundle this together, you're talking about adding value versus- Adding more value. Versus a discount where you're kind of taking away, right? There's a negative connotation there. Do you, when it comes to communicating value- uh, again, it reminds me of Donald Millard's uh, Building the Story Brands, a really great book that talks specifically about this idea. How have you found it, or how would you suggest at least for photographers to effectively communicate value in a way that actually resonates with the end client? This goes back to the communication thing we were talking about earlier. Are we speaking their language? And in this case, more specifically, are we speaking to their values? How, what does that conversation sound like maybe? Yeah, so I think you... You have to connect it to what people want. So what what does, if somebody wants to book a maternity session with you, what is it that they actually want out of that? Mm. Because I'm going to tell you, nobody wants a picture of themselves when they're pregnant. Like <laughs> Nobody wants that. Okay. But what they do want is to memorialize an important time in life that is never going to happen again. And so you need to think about what do they want, connecting what you do to what they already want and saying, you want that? I can help you get it. And then also communicating value can sometimes mean overcoming the objections that people have to why they wouldn't want to buy from you. So for if going back to the newborn or, or maternity example, you know, I have a previous client who I thought this was just so brilliant that she she created a ward she she purchased a a wardrobe of like 20 outfits maternity outfits that her clients can choose from for their maternity shots because she knows that people are like what would I even wear and so communicating value can be helping them see how what you do is going to get them something that they want is going to get them the the thing that they're after mm. but then also saying Communicating value is, I know that certain parts of this are going to be hard for you. Here's what I have done to help you with those sticky points. Oh, and now you're that much more valuable because they know they're, you're, A, you're thinking about them, but you're mm -hmm. good enough to have thought ahead to even know what they would potentially want, which is brilliant. Yes. And would you say, just to kind of sum up this conversation about adding value, that knowing what they want, a lot of that's knowing what they want to feel, how they want to feel at the end of the experience. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that can definitely be part of it. But I do think that some people, they only focus on that. Hmm. If the value that you're communicating is only emotional, then I think you need to go back to the drawing board and come up with something more tangible because that is more compelling when you're talking about when you're talking about selling. So if you're trying to say like, here are the outcomes that you are going to accomplish from working with me as your product photographer, working with me as your brand photographer, whatever it is, part of that can be like, you're going to feel more confident. You are going to, you know, you know, you're going to have all these warm, fuzzy feelings when you look back at your, your newborn, newborn shots, but also it needs to be tangible, something that you can touch and see. And, and that's more objective because when you only have the emotional wishy-washy stuff, it's not going to appeal to every type of person. <laughs> the wishy-washy stuff. I love that. Uh, it's, it's, I know you can, you can definitely tell where I stand. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, I think it's good to have your perspective in this case, because our, our 
photography industry, and I've seen this even you know, quite a bit more so even in the last month or two, going to industry conferences, the, the conversation has shifted largely in the direction of the so-called wishy-washy stuff. Now, there's obvious value to, first of all, understanding ourselves on an emotional level and being able then to communicate that in the client experience. But you're right. There is a certain amount of tangible value that, that we absolutely have to provide. And to your earlier point, understanding what the client's actually looking for in that regard, their tangible mm -hmm. experience, and then the tangible finished product is really, really important to ultimately add enough value where a discount isn't needed. Um, I love that we were plan. I was, you know, kind of planning on talking about discounting. Really, the direction of the conversation has moved to let's let's actually set that aside. Let's focus on how we can add more value. So there is a minimal need for a discount in the end. If we are going to discount, as you said earlier, it's on product. Uh, if there is enough margin, not on the service being offered. That's that's my take for sure. Very cool. Well, I, this has been a really helpful, very practical conversation. And we've I like that we've kind of jumped all around, but ultimately provided a lot for our, our listeners. Thank you for making time for all of us. And just in closing too, we just remind our listeners where they can follow you online, A, and then potentially even reach out to you if they're looking for somebody to help them kind of come alongside and help them with their business. Yeah, you can again find my find my podcast on iTunes. It's called The Game Changer. If you search The Game Changer with Katie Wuso, it should come up. And then you can follow me on Instagram at Katie Wuso. I'd love if your listeners would shoot me a, D, a DM and just say, you know, what what they took away from this conversation and and kind of what what stood out the most to them that they're going to apply. Perfect. We'll put all of this in the show notes. BocaPodcast.com. Uh, by the way. Uh, the Dip, the book from Seth Godin, uh, we'll also link to that in the show notes at bookapodcast.com. For those of you listening in, uh, Haley has actually put together a really cool resource from the show, the most popular books that have been mentioned on the show. If you just go to bocabookshelf.com, just like it sounds, uh, you can find that resource there as well. Thanks again, Katie, for spending time with all of us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to the Boca Podcast. Will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple Podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit.com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Milu, the simplest way for photographers and coordinators to collaborate on shot lists and timelines for weddings, parties, and other amazing events. Visit Milu. M-I-I-L-U dot com. This podcast is also brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com.